Welcome to conference coverage presented by ReachMD Radio on XM160 and powered by Health Day, featuring the latest clinical information and research findings from the 2011 Annual Meeting of the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, held from March 18th to the 22nd in San Francisco. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz, your host. And I'm Sue Berg. This year's meeting attracted over 7,000 participants from around the world, including clinicians, academics, allied health professionals, and others interested in allergic and immunologic disease. The conference highlighted recent advances in allergy and immunology research, with presentations also focusing on other developments in allergy, asthma, and immunologic diseases. In one study, researchers at the Allergy and Asthma Care Center in North Dakota found that predicted pollen levels on popular reference websites differed significantly from actual pollen counts. The investigators compared pollen levels from 12 representative National Allergy Bureau stations in the U.S. and one in Canada to corresponding daily reports from websites pollen.com and theweathernetwork.com for the 2007 and 2009 pollen seasons. It's been long noted that patients and physicians alike have reported discrepancies between pollen levels according to weather stations versus online sources, and this study summarized those differences. The investigators found that the predicted pollen information from the websites was different from actual counts derived from the 13 National Allergy Bureau stations. Their conclusion? Compared to the actual pollen counts from the National Allergy Bureau, reports from other sites predict counts much like the weather. Dr. Dan Dalen of the Allergy and Asthma Care Center said that for patient care impact as well as current and future studies, it's best to use real and actual information rather than predicted. Dr. Dalen added, it's important for the scientific community to continue to improve prediction models for future use. In another study, researchers at the University of Wisconsin found that certain lung defects were significantly more present in girls compared to boys, independent of the presence of asthma. Investigators sought to identify changes in the makeup of the lungs that occur during their development, and they wanted to know how these changes relate to both gender and asthma. The investigators evaluated 43 children between the ages of 9 and 11 years, including 17 with current asthma, from the Childhood Origins of Asthma Project, an observational study of a high-risk birth cohort. Magnetic resonance imaging with hyperpolarized helium was used to define the location and size of ventilation defects, and defect scores were determined by a physician blinded to the participants' asthma phenotypes. Researchers hypothesized that children with asthma would demonstrate similar observed defect scores to those seen in adults with asthma. The investigators found that compared to children without asthma, children with asthma did have an increased number of areas of the lung with no airflow. But the investigators also found that these lung defects were significantly more present in girls than boys, independent of whether they had asthma. The study authors concluded from these findings that prior to puberty, airflow to the lungs in girls may not be as evenly distributed as it is in boys, even in children without asthma. For children with asthma, these abnormalities in airflow distribution are even more pronounced. The researchers say they plan to repeat these studies once the children reach puberty, so as to determine whether or not these same relationships exist with the increase in lung size that occurs during adolescence. Investigators in China found that prevalence of food allergy appears to be lower in rural areas compared to more urban areas. Previous studies have shown that a rural environment may be protective against the development of asthma. Food allergy is often the first manifestation of the so-called atopic march in individuals who are prone to develop multiple allergies. So researchers in this case 
sought to determine if a rural environment was also protective against food allergy. Over 28,000 children between the ages of 6 and 11 were enrolled from urban sites such as Hong Kong and Beijing, as well as rural areas outside Beijing and Xiaoguan. Parents were asked to fill out two questionnaires, and a random case control sample of 1,780 children was recruited for prick skin testing to determine specific levels of IgE. The investigators found that the rates of probable food allergy in urban areas far exceeded those in rural areas. 3.8% in Hong Kong and 2.6% in Beijing, for instance, compared with only 0.2% in rural Beijing and 0.1% in rural Xiaoguan. Investigators say these results clearly show that food allergy is far less common in rural populations. They added that since all subjects were of the same genetic background, it's likely there are important modifiable rural environmental factors protecting against the development of food allergies. The next step will be to conduct detailed studies of the rural environment and identify those protective factors. For children with milk allergies, a new treatment approach that uses omalizumab in combination with oral desensitization therapy appears to improve milk tolerance with few allergic reactions. Researchers at Children's Hospital Boston pre-treated children with omalizumab and then introduced milk in increasing amounts over a 7- to 10-week period to desensitize them to milk. After this desensitization period, omalizumab treatment was stopped, but daily doses of milk were continued for an additional eight weeks. The investigators found that nine of the 11 children who completed the new treatment regimen passed a double-blind food challenge and were then able to ingest 8 to 12 ounces of milk or more per day with minimal or no adverse effects. In a statement, the study's lead author said they decided to study milk allergy because treating it successfully could change a child's lifestyle for the better. The children in this study had significant milk allergy and were unlikely to outgrow it without some type of treatment. They add that larger trials are necessary, but these results are very promising and suggest that a rapid and safe method of food desensitization might be available for patients in the near future. The study was funded in part by Genentech, which manufactures omalizumab. Researchers at the Mayo Clinic report that asthma appears to be associated with an increased risk of developing diabetes mellitus and coronary artery disease. Researchers were trying to find out whether having asthma could impact the development of other chronic inflammatory diseases, such as rheumatoid arthritis, inflammatory bowel disease, diabetes mellitus, and coronary artery disease. In a retrospective cohort study, they evaluated nearly 2,400 asthma patients and twice as many age and gender-matched controls without asthma. Among asthma patients, the risk of diabetes mellitus doubled compared to non-asthmatics, while risk of coronary artery disease rose by 50%. However, the risk of developing inflammatory bowel disease or rheumatoid arthritis among asthma patients was not statistically significant. One investigator said that while it's important for clinicians to be aware of the increased risks of coronary artery disease and diabetes in asthmatics, these findings are preliminary and should be interpreted cautiously. But given the significant proportion of people affected by asthma, the potential impact of asthma epidemiology on that or other chronic diseases needs to be monitored. Researchers had good news for mothers who used oral contraceptive pills prior to becoming pregnant. A Norwegian study found that progestin-estrogen oral contraceptive use prior to pregnancy does not appear to increase the risk of adverse respiratory outcomes in offspring. It's previously been suggested that a risk of asthma in infancy may be associated with maternal use of progestin-estrogen oral contraception before pregnancy. 
The first evidence of this link appeared in a 1997 article, but subsequent studies offered limited, inconclusive data. Also, there had never been a direct comparison of the two types of oral contraceptives, estrogen-progestin combined pills and progestin-only pills. For this study, known as the Norwegian Mother and Child Cohort, researchers prospectively evaluated associations between type of oral contraception used before pregnancy and lower respiratory tract infections in over 60,000 children, followed up to six months of age. They also followed lower respiratory tract infections and wheezing in over 42,000 children until they were a year and a half old, and asthma in over 24,000 children until they were three years old. The investigators found that the use of progestin estrogen oral contraceptive pills was not associated with lower respiratory tract infections, wheezing, or asthma among offspring. However, progestin-only pill use in the year prior to pregnancy did have a slight positive association with wheezing in children at six to eight months of age. The researchers noted that this second association may have been subject to residual confounding. The study authors say these findings may provide reassurance to the vast majority of mothers using oral contraceptive pills before becoming pregnant, and they emphasize the need to consider combined pills and progestin-only pills separately in future studies. One-third of infants with a history of milk allergy appear to resolve this allergy within 30 months, though children with more severe atopic dermatitis are less likely to outgrow egg or milk allergy. Those were the findings of two studies presented at the meeting. For both studies, Dr. Robert A. Wood of Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore and colleagues evaluated children between the ages of 3 and 15 months. With either a convincing history of egg or milk allergy with a positive prick skin test to the trigger food, or moderate to severe atopic dermatitis and a positive prick skin test to milk or egg. In the first study, researchers found that among 244 children with milk allergy at baseline, 89 had resolution of their allergy by month 30 of follow-up, equating to a 36.9% probability of milk allergy resolution. Factors predicting allergy resolution included lower baseline milk IgE levels, smaller baseline milk PST scores, and baseline atopic dermatitis that was none to mild versus moderate to severe. In the second study, the researchers found that with milk allergy, 46% of children whose baseline atopic dermatitis was none to mild had resolution, compared with only 25% of those with moderate to severe atopic dermatitis. For egg allergy, 39% of children with none to mild atopic dermatitis resolved their allergy, compared with 21% of those enrolled with moderate to severe allergies. In a statement, researchers said these findings will help clinicians care for infants with eczema and milk or egg allergy, and provide more accurate advice to parents about their child's likely course. Firstborn children appear to have a higher risk of suffering from certain types of allergies than their younger brothers and sisters. This was the finding of researchers in Japan. It's been claimed previously that individuals with increased birth order have a smaller risk of allergy. This is what's known as the birth order effect. However, investigators in this case sought to discover whether the effect may differ by allergic disease. A questionnaire was administered to parents of more than 13,000 schoolchildren between the ages of 7 and 15. The questionnaire was designed to evaluate the significance of birth order effect on the prevalence of specific allergic diseases, including bronchial asthma, atopic dermatitis, allergic rhinitis, allergic conjunctivitis, and food allergy. The investigators found no significant difference in the prevalence of bronchial asthma or atopic dermatitis according to birth order. 
However, the prevalence of allergic rhinitis, allergic conjunctivitis, and food allergy fell significantly as birth order increased. Food allergy prevalence in firstborn children was 4%, compared to 3.5% in secondborns and 2.6% in laterborn children. For those with reported symptoms since infancy, the prevalence food allergy decreased significantly as birth order increased. The authors of this study say their findings provide disease specificity for the birth order effect on allergy among school children. These data are the first to show a birth order effect on food allergy specifically. The fact that this effect was also observed in infancy suggests it may be prenatal in origin. Thank you for listening to conference coverage from the 2011 Annual Meeting of the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, held from March 18th through the 22nd in San Francisco. Conference coverage is a presentation of ReachMD Radio, broadcast on XM160 and by live stream at ReachMD, and powered by Health Day. Hi, I'm ReachMD host Lisa DeAndre Linnell, inviting you to visit our online audio library at ReachMD.com, where you can access thousands of on-demand podcasts. Here's a part of one of our interviews. PA malpractice, MD malpractice, what's the difference? Well... This can be answered in a couple of ways. First of all, physician assistants and physicians both have to live up to the standard of care for each of their professions. Now, the standard of care for a physician may be the same or it may not be the same as that of a physician assistant. It depends upon their specialty, for example. One could say that a sinusitis is a sinusitis is a sinusitis, and the care is the same whether it's uh, provided by a PA or a physician. But in general, most states now require a physician assistant to testify as to the standard of care of another physician assistant. Physicians are not allowed to testify to the standard of care of a physician assistant. But as far as malpractice coverage that they have to carry, is it the same? Well, each of us has to carry malpractice coverage. Now, is it the same in terms of cost? It really is, again, specialty dependent. But we both need to carry malpractice insurance without question. For the majority of PAs, malpractice insurance is covered by their employer. Do you think that's good enough? It depends. Is a person a rider on the MD policy, or do you have your own policy? It's extremely important that you get at least a copy of your declarations page of your own malpractice policy and know what type of policy it is. Is it an occurrence policy, or is it a claims-made policy? Does it have a tail built into it or a retroactive date built into it? These are important questions that one needs to ask. Well, let's go through some of those, because I know many PAs that have worked for years, and they just assume they have malpractice coverage. To hear more of this Partners in Practice interview, please visit us online at ReachMD.com, which features thousands of on-demand podcasts from the ReachMD library. And thanks for listening.